here we are. Here we are. I'll probably wait to get into the dong stuff. <laughs> You don't want to introduce it as we are now a Baldur's Gate penises podcast. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to take that off the table, I think. I mean, I'm not sure I want to lay it on the table either. I have no <laughs> choice. I mean, yeah. Did you see the patch notes? I did. I, I actually <laughs> went in and created a new character just so I could see the swinging dicks. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what are you drinking, man? I, in honor of Christmas, have some eggnog and some rum. How about you? I am not a nog-sucking cheermonger. I am just drinking Okanagan crisp cider. There you go. I actually went out and bought some. Well, I sent Cindy out to buy some beer. My wife is the greatest. Because <laughs> um, she went out and I said, I don't know, buy me, buy me some beer. And she came back with uh, a, a six-pack of Steam Whistle and a four-pack of Guinness. So Very nice. I, I'm set for like the next six months. We need to start recording more often. Oh, uh, I don't know. I need to keep my job. I mean, I love doing this and everything, but I, I do kind of need to keep my day job at the moment. Yes, we're not uh, we're not quite paying the bills with this yet. Uh, not yeah, not quite. I mean, what with our with our ten of subscribers? <laughs> uh, we love all ten of you true yeah so i guess before we get into what would be my main topic this episode we have to address the Baldur's gate 3 stream because we talked about doing it and we, we so far it. haven't put anything online kind of we uh we did do it but we left it unlisted and uh before i made the vod public i got looking at things and decided I very much could not make it public. I haven't deleted it yet, but I'm going to have to. Um, I was looking at some terms of service stuff, things I wasn't thinking about when we actually did the stream. But uh, <laughs> by pure accident, we 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 went off the rails. <laughs> uh. So the... I mean, the general premise of what we were doing, we're doing a tactician run with two gnomes. Now, we decided at the beginning of the stream to pick up all of our companions and then at the first opportunity, send them back to camp. Just dismiss them. And we get to that little beach part where we get Asterian. And I'm getting ready to dismiss him. And Talson's like, wait, I want to take his clothes. <laughs> uh, I like his armor. I thought it would look neat. <sighs> right. Uh, I'm sure you weren't thinking about, you know, naked nope. Asterian. You're like... Hey, I like this guy's clothes. I mean, at that point, I had my awesome hat already. So you do that, of course, which leaves him naked. And then I start the conversation. <laughs> as a gnome. To dismiss him as a gnome. <laughs> and the camera shifts down to the cinematic position where there's literally my gnome head and pale vampire dong. Just right here, <laughs> like two thirds of my screen. <laughs> Maybe I'll post some pictures of it somewhere from the VOD, but I, I can't put the VOD up. It it violates all sorts of terms of use and will have our channel 
perma banned pretty quickly, I think. Yeah, I mean, you could put it up on OnlyFans, maybe. Yeah. But it's just one of those things that, you know what, unless you do it, like, and have, have learned those lessons, I wasn't even thinking of. Yeah. You know, like, obviously, I couldn't be naked on camera. I get that that would be a problem, not just, you know, violating terms of use, but a problem in general. You know, I have to pay people for that. <laughs> but you don't think incidental nudity in video games the same way you would think of, you know, somebody on camera being naked. Yeah. But I mean, it's kind of the same thing. It's at very least visually the same thing. I mean, the the fidelity of the or the lifelike nature of the naked bodies of the people in the game are enough that... Yeah, that's that's a naked dude. And he's not Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> so shout out to to Larry and Studios for the efforts they put into uh, realistic genitalia. Uh, they've since patched them to make them even more lifelike. <laughs> Uh, oh, who knew? I, I mean, it's it's literally like you can't look at it and not giggle. It's awesome. I mean, I'm not gay or nothing, but like just watching watching somebody just go doot, loot, 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 swinging their dong and helicoptering it around is there's something funny about that. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, it, you know, it, it ruined our pilot stream and that's fine. We uh, we probably we weren't overly efficient in figuring out what we we're going to be doing. We spent the first half hour talking about doing stuff how do we want to do this i think we figured it out now so we'll probably just restart it sure um maybe next weekend i don't know it's it's the the ramp up to the holidays so everybody's pretty busy mm -hmm. um we'll figure out the best time to fit it in but otherwise i really kind of enjoyed it i think we'll have some some technical kinks to work out just doing your screen cap yeah yeah, my internet coming up to this time of year is is not good, and it should get better because I have like better line of sight to the little dishy thing that's on a tower over there. But I've been having issues, so we'll it's, not, it's it momentary. It's momentary, right? It's it's like a second and a half of your internet drops to dial up speeds, and then it's back to normal. It doesn't affect downloads; it just affects this it reminds me of that old oatmeal comic uh the difference between slow internet and no internet oh yeah no internet you just go eh, i don't know go out and make a sandwich and read a book or something slow internet just it's torture brings the demons out yeah and the funny thing is is that 10 years ago like the internet that i have now we would be ecstatic with but but now, especially compared to what you've got sort of down in the 401 corridor, it's crap, right? I mean, it's good. It's, it's just at the bottom of the barrel. Do you remember when we would have land parties at places like Brent's where like dial-up was the only option? Oh, yeah. It's like, I don't even, I don't even want internet. Just turn the internet off. Like, mm -hmm. just, just unplug it. Yeah. Yeah, because it is the difference between no internet and slow internet. Slow internet sucks. No internet is just inconvenient. So. Ah, the good old days. Yeah. I've often thought that I could make that sacrifice. 
you know, mm -hmm. uh, getting into the housing market here in the next year or so uh, with the market the way it is, like one of the decisions that we have to make is how rural are we willing to go? And mm -hmm. I look at things like availability of wireless internet, like cell-based stuff, even Starlink. And I have to weigh that in the decision, right? You do. Like, like how much internet am I willing to sacrifice to save, say, $100,000 on the cost of a house that fits our needs? $100,000 is a lot of internet. You could just load it in the back of a station wagon and take it back and forth like that. Yeah. But not only do I, you know, all of my entertainment depends on a, on a decent internet connection. Like, we don't even have cable TV. We, we cut the cord, like, I don't know, 12, 14 years ago. Yeah, same here. And um, obviously the gaming that I do, the hobby stuff that I do is dependent on an internet connection. And I work from home a lot more now, and that depends on having a decent internet connection too. So it's not an easy sacrifice to make. Like, even for me jumping into a situation like yours where, you know what, the internet is okay most of the time. Mm-hmm. But you just that, have these these uncontrollable moments where it is just just drops. Yeah. You know, and, and again, like I could always stop playing a video game or be, hey, we'll record this podcast episode later. But in the middle of a work day or something, that would be Um, I it honestly it doesn't affect my work very much. The the thing work actually throttles my speed to such an extent that it's actually their VPN that causes me issues and not yeah. my internet. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't affect anything that you don't require. Uh, like for example, it wouldn't affect an MMO. Uh, it doesn't affect, I, I downloaded a bunch more stuff for uh, campaign cartographer last night. It didn't, doesn't mm -hmm. affect that. Um, every once in a while I have to restart a download if it doesn't have a, uh, I don't know, whatever you call the, the backend thing where it'll auto, auto restart. Um, but it, it does cause problems if I'm trying to share screens on Teams, for example, or if I'm trying to do something like this, like this podcast where we're talking to each other, right? Then it becomes a bit of an issue. But for, for work, like if I'm just uploading and downloading files, eh, sometimes it takes an extra five minutes. No biggie. And I'm transferring big files. Like some of my CAD files are like gigabytes in size. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in my case, I, I mean, I'm just moving files so much. Yeah, syncs from web servers down back up part of the development gig that it, it would be a timing thing, right? Like a minor inconvenience, a significant slowdown if I'm just doing my regular work. But like if I'm trying to put a fire out and yeah. my own internet connection just happens to be on fire at the same time, I think it'd be an issue. So. We'll see how that goes. What I will say is that the options for connectivity in rural areas is, is only getting better and better. Yes. I don't know that they'll likely ever get to the point where we'll have the reliability of, you know, copper or fiber broadband, but. Yeah, probably they'll, not. They'll close in, the gap. Yeah, I don't think that we'll get there like in the near future. But if you think about like, for example, the copper, <laughs> the copper that exists here. Um, the reason that I'm on wireless internet is copper that exists on my street was laid in 1948. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a little flaky. Um, it's a little low gauge. It's got lots of interference. So the internet's actually pretty awful if you try and go that way. They are, in theory, upgrading the infrastructure here, but 
in the meantime, like I have a wireless connection between me and a tower that's uh, it's about 200, 250 yards away, uh, and it's fiber from there. So, do you remember that place that I last lived in the county? We did a couple of land parties at that house out on um, Hayward Longreach. I vaguely remember it. Yeah, a uh, place where we had the pool in the back. Anyway, yeah. Um, my curse of, of of getting access to broadband because I'd lived in like downtown Picton before that on dial-up because they didn't have broadband available. One of the first D-slams was installed in the, like literally my back parking lot a month after I left <laughs> to come into Belleville. Moved into to Belleville, got on like what was 2 megabit, 1.5 megabit cable at the time. Mm-hmm. Moved back into the county and had to make that jump back to dial-up. And we were living in this place. We were only there for a year and a half, maybe two years. And some of the first wireless internet, uh, Kingston Online Services, KOS, was doing some of the first wireless internet in the area. And a tower went up like a quarter mile from Mm -hmm. my house, maybe a little more than a quarter mile. And I didn't have line of sight. It was on top of a hill, Mount Carmel. I was literally at the bottom of the road, just at the where it cuts down, back down towards the water. No just line of sight. Is. I did the math, and I would have had to have put up like a hundred and twenty foot tower <laughs> to get line of sight. Like, and they would have been put a, a light, put a light yeah. on top to keep the airplanes from crashing into it. Yeah. yeah. As it was, we ended moving back into the city and um, <laughs> tried to get hosed by Bell. Yeah. Um, this would have been 2005, 2006, I guess. Moved back into where we are now. And uh, we'd been doing Bell Internet before anyway. And uh, tried to get DSL where I was. And at the time where Kojuko was offering, I think, 10 megabit everywhere by then. Uh-huh. Uh, Bell offered me 128 kilobit. <laughs> Just due to congestion here. DSL, lots of people in a lot of buildings. 128 kilobit. Made the switch pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And and now you're on some kind of fiber giga node chad. Yeah, no fiber yet. Just a gigabit over copper. Uh, It's it's good enough. I have reliability issues sometimes that are annoying. Uh, Watching video streams that are like live. Uh, you know, because I've cut the cord, like it doesn't bother things that can buffer like Netflix or something like that. But uh, watching live streams, particularly shoddy ones for watching a hockey game, for instance, the stream always cutting out, um, you know, doesn't help that our duopoly of, of Bell Media and uh, Rogers up here uh-huh. means that neither one of them have to innovate. So the quality of the the product technically like the live streaming shit is just garbage to begin with yeah and did was it rogers or bell that just uh is is eating up all of the uh resellers as well now and our our watchdog that's supposed to be in charge of hey don't do that it went oh no this seems like a great idea cuz we put you know like we we know that if we give somebody a monopoly what happens is they just provide great service yeah, that, that does. It sucks. And like, even with the resellers, like the only 
competition they really offered was price because they're literally resellers. Yeah. yeah, they're the same equipment. It's it's all provisioned over Bell or or Rogers or in some cases like Kojiko where we are. Yeah, um, their network. So you know, it's who you got to call for support. How long you have to wait for support afterwards, yeah. and maybe you save ten bucks a month. Well, I mean, saving that 10 bucks a month for, for a long time was a big deal. And for a lot of people, it still is. And it kind of needs to be. And basically what Bell and Rogers said was, you know, like line has to go up. Line's not going up anymore. So we can't offer the resellers, you know, deals anymore. So they got to go. Speaking so. of 10 bucks a month, Uh-oh. I think that moves us into what I wanted to be the main topic. And this topic may fall flat. So if it goes nowhere... You'll have oh, to well. forgive me. Because I'm not sure there's enough meat on the bone. I've alluded to this before. The, the general topic is side hustles. Ian, you'll dig this topic because you're the king of side hustles. One of my resolutions going into the new year is I want to put some work into and focus on figuring out some supplemental income. Like, it doesn't need to be a lot. I'm not looking for a second job. I'm not looking to double the amount of work that I'm doing. But just a steady stream, a reliable trickle of extra income, Mm -hmm. you know, for an equivalent amount of work. Kind of what I want to focus on doing. Now, it's not something I've, I've really spoken to you about aside from me talking about, Hey, I was thinking about doing some paid dungeon mastering and you just totally being not about it, which was fine. I haven't done it. Incidentally. I mean, do it if you want to do it. I'm absolutely not interested. (laughs) No, no. And, and, And that's totally cool. Like some perspective. I was on the fence about it and I knew it was kind of a taboo topic, which is why I brought it up here. And that's not what I'm talking about today. Uh, I'm talking about sort of your more traditional side hustles, I guess. And I, I don't think I've ever really asked the question of you. Do you have any current side hustles? And if so, how are they going? I know that you and Cindy used to do like a, like a cake business kind of thing out of the house way, way back. And I, I was unpaid, uh, manual labor for the cake business. I'm, I'm Cindy has side hustles. I'm the unpaid heavy lifting for those um speaking of she's actually out of the house today she's uh doing a christmas craft sale thing down at city hall with the uh the the deep river pottery club so like if you're watching this if you if you if you're watching it live um oh yeah i guess you missed it sorry um (laughs) it's like they're they're selling some there's a i don't know like 10 or 12 of them or something uh putting pottery out on a table for sale. They've got some jewelry. They've got some, some knickknacks and things. There's a bunch of different vendors down there. That's, that's a thing that sort of Cindy's always been into. I, I don't have any side hustles. I'm not really interested in any. I already don't have enough time for the hobbies that I want to do. Um, one of the reasons that I'm not really worried about a side hustle is that the job I've got right now, literally, if I called my boss up and said, Hey, I'd like to put in an extra 12 hours this week, he'd be like, all right, cool. We've got work to do. So, you know, that's a a much more efficient sort of money-making thing for me would be to just work more at my current job. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, most of the time, by the end of the week, I get to the end of the week and I'm, I'm like, yeah, I got to prep for D and D. I got to prep for the other D and D. Um, I got to, I got to finish a Baldur's Gate run, number three thousand seven hundred and eighty-five. Uh, I'm almost finished with the Underdark. Um, I'm, I've actually, this is funny. I've actually spent three days running around in the uh, in the Grim Forge before you get to the Forge part. Mm-hmm. Just figuring out, like, am I going to actually go and find all of the secret shit again, or am I just going to go right to the forge and say, you know, you make a couple of pieces of armor and move on? <sighs> I don't know. I multiclassed Asterian one level of bard just so I could hear him do vicious mockery. Um, and then realized that I fed Gale all of the bard items that I'd found up to this point. <laughs> <laughs> so... Okay, so you haven't always had jobs like you have now. I mean, you've been there for quite a while. Have you done shit on the side in the past? Like, I don't Um, think you did back in our call center days, at least not when we were working together. I did a little. uh, I didn't have anything. uh, I had a couple of people that I did sort of tech support on the side for. Oh, no, conflict of interest with stream. Come at me, bro. (laughs) <laughs> um, I'll, I'll sue you for all of the things that you did to me while I was working there. Um, I don't even think that company exists anymore, so I don't think it's a problem. Uh, but I did some tech support for people, um, and, and charged them a ludicrous amount of money for it. Uh, and they kept calling me back. So it was, it was a very tiny amount of income though. Like it was typically like $50 every two or three months kind of deal. Yeah. Um, but no, I've never done a, like a, a, a serious side hustle. I just, I just don't have the energy. And that's, you know, one of the questions I had is what sort of challenges do you face actually doing it? Time. You know, I think of, uh, speaking to the stream days, uh, the shit that Brian was doing. Oh, and I don't man. know if it was like something that he lucked into because it was, it was for waste management, wasn't it? I think that's it was a just, full-time job now driving around just checking on things like i don't know how many hours he actually put in a week but he got paid quite a lot of money to do it an absolute ton yeah ian's that way sometimes i i I talk about him and there's sort of a a overtones of jealousy and and it's legit but like you know he's he's the best guy in the world so the opportunities that have landed in his lap are you know you look at them and you're like dude you've won the lottery several times but it couldn't happen to a better guy. Like if somebody had to do it, uh, it had to be you. Well, part of the thing is too, like he's very uh, gregarious, right? Where he's just out talking to a lot of people. Just, he has absolutely no, um, uh, what's, well, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for, but like he, he has no, no reluctance to just walk up to somebody and say, Hey, I don't know you. Let's be friends. Right. He strikes me yeah. as that kind of guy. And while we do similar things for a living, like the reason why he's able to to go independent and do as well as he has is like where my stance is people, you. Yeah. Right? Like he's very much the face in, in his own operation. He has to be if he's independent. But that has led to so many interesting opportunities for him that like I'm talking thousands of dollars a month, like in in just sort of recurring income that like he has to work for, but the amount of work is 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 reasonably minimal. Now, 
there's responsibilities attached to it where like if things went sideways, it could turn into a lot of work. So, you know, I don't want to, I make fun of him for selling snake oil and that's not what he's actually doing. That's just me kind of, kind of poking at him. Mm -hmm. But, you know, things like the world has literally bent itself and broken itself in half so Ian could succeed. Have I ever told you the story about um, his Shopify app? No. Okay. I'm going to get some of the numbers wrong here. And I'm going to insert myself into this just because it is part of the story. I take no credit, actual credit for it. Can I can I just like pause for just a second and suggest that since this sounds an awful lot like um, you are writing an Ian career fanfic? I mean, you're not wrong, and <laughs> and and part of the reason is is I just I look at what what his success with these side hustles has allowed him to do. Like the quality of life that he leads. Like some weeks he's working really, really hard. And some weeks he's just like, you know what? I'm going to go to Greece this week, you know, with my girlfriend. Yeah, the freedom to do that would be nice. You know, you know for a person who's living in California, playing California prices and, you know, he, he admittedly like his personal life did kind of explode some 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 unpredicted paths that involved an unexpected divorce and but again like landed right in like the perfect situation so when i say he's won the lottery he hasn't actually won the lottery but he's he's won the lottery so the shopify app started as a he's he's doing work on on starting to branch out on his own right he he was working for the same employer i'm with he left to go to another gig because it sounded like a really big opportunity and it exploded. Like just, they let him go. Um, I don't want to say it was or wasn't a good fit. I think there was some bullshit going on and he was kind of the victim of it, which forced him to be like, well, I can't go back to my old job. I didn't really burn bridges, but it's just not available to me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to do my own thing which he'd done in the past and he had some relationships that he could lean on to, mm-hmm. to help funnel some work to him. And one of these jobs was a Shopify build, you know, not a big thing, but we're talking 2017, maybe early 2018. He was doing this build. And, and one of the things that his client needed to do was restrict sales to certain zip codes or postal codes and the platform didn't have at the time a good way of doing that which was like no brainer functionality for an e-commerce system like it's shocking that Uh it didn't have the functionality so somebody paid him to build it and he said well you know what if i build it for this person let me let me do the extra step and turn this into a an app that i can actually sell in their app ecosystem So he did that. And uh, where I insert myself into this story the first time is he was mulling over the problem of this, like filtering things by postal codes. And I think we had a conversation for 15 minutes one day where I just sort of spitballing with him came up with, well, here's what you need to do, you know, 15 lines of code. And then he took that, tweaked it, and then like built the whole sort of shit around it that you need to have to, to have a Shopify app. 
So Mm -hmm. I take no credit for the product, but it literally sprang up from a conversation we had. Put it live, immediately started getting trickles of of new users. It it turned into a, I'm going to make up some numbers here that are going to be wrong, but they're going to sort of communicate where he was at with this. Right order of magnitude. Yeah, uh, he probably had maybe 50, 60 active users or something like that. A point where it was in the low hundreds of dollars a month that he was getting in recurring income. You know, when I say low hundreds, probably less than a couple hundred dollars a month. And Mm -hmm. it required some hours. Yeah, some hours with support, you know, but it was growing steadily. And, uh, you know, the time you had to put into it versus what he was getting out of it, like the, the trade-off was amazing. And then we went to breakfast one morning and he was like, I got an offer to, to sell this. And I'm on the fence, but I'm kind of thinking I should. This would have been maybe early 2019, mm-hmm. late 2018. And I said, well, it's still growing. There's no signs yet that, that Shopify is going to bake this functionality into their platform. Hold on to it. I mean, for the little bit of support time that you're having to put into it. You'll have an opportunity to sell it again if growth stops. You know, for mm-hmm. what this guy's offering, I think this guy was offering him like six grand or something like that. Oh, yeah, not even remotely you know, worth it. Yeah. You know. I mean, if you, less if you didn't want to... Less than two years worth of income to, to hang on to it, though. Right. The risk was, though, that like Shopify could build this functionality into their platform and just make you completely obsolete. Yep. You know, so it was a, it was a, it was a grenade that's going to go off at some point. And he was like, well, fine. He decided to hold on to it. And then a global pandemic happens where a bunch of bricks and mortar shops have to move into doing online e-commerce just to stay alive mm-hmm. and like his install base you know into the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds he's now making thousands of dollars a month and for him yeah absolutely and and all through that time now when i say thousands it was probably like 1500 a month us like it wasn't huge money but that's but it was, that's that's nice play money. That is nice play money. As the pandemic sort of went through its thing, he then got another offer to buy it, and he decided to pull the trigger on it. And I think I think the final sale value was something like eighty five thousand US or something like that. Enough that it was worth it because we were already starting to feel like, oh shit, Shopify might make this obsolete any day now. Yep. Um, you know, just for, I mean, Hey, millions of people had to die in the world and get sick and, you know, economies had to collapse and whatever, but like it worked out well for him. He did good. I mean, that's, that's the thing is that like when they, they say, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I get, it's hard work buys you more lottery tickets. You still got to win the lottery. Right. And he did the hard work and good for him and he deserves the success, but he kind of won the lottery. He did. Like how many apps have been developed by how many people that have gone absolutely nowhere that have been just as clever. It's just, you just got to get the one that catches on and Mm -hmm. you got to, you got to ride it until it makes you rich. 
and, and that's the funny thing, because like I, I can't look at what he did and say, oh, I'm just going to do what he did and, and it expects success. No, you might. You might, but the chances, realistically speaking, are pretty low. Like he, he a he found a, a he found a niche that wasn't being served. There was functionality that was absent, shockingly so, and he put something out to address it. So he had a demonstrated need. He was already getting paid to build it. Now, that's that's, that's, a, that's another nice. significant thing, right? <laughs> like yes. he's. You know, he had to put a bunch of extra time in it to kind of wrap it and all the stuff you have to do to sell it. But the core functionality, he was being paid to build for something else. So he just, he, he, he pushed it to the next level. It, it took off. Happenstance and shenanigans happened. And all of a sudden he's, you know, I, I mean, it's not rolling it at money. He didn't win millions of dollars or anything like that. But that's, a that's just paycheck. one example of the kind of things that he does. Like he, he got involved in... Uh, we talked about reselling of, of internet services, right? Mm -hmm. He's doing a whole bunch of um, like website hosting mm -hmm. where, where, you, where you're talking about high uptime stuff, where he's got clients that are paying him four or $500 a month for, again, he has to check in on it. Like, you know, he's taking risks and, and, and there's, there's always the what if of, oh, I may have to step up to the plate if there's ever like major downtime or a significant fire. But what he's reselling is stuff that's costing him 20, 30, 40 bucks a month mm. for orders of, of, of magnitude and profit. And most months, aside from just checking up to make sure, yep, my backups are working, you know, uptime looks good. My automated updates are updating. It's just set it and forget it. Which is nice. Mm -hmm. but Again, though, he leveraged those relationships that he had with people, and, and, and that's the shit that I'm missing. Now, I'm not, I'm not completely absent of my own success stories. I think I've mentioned it once or twice before, but I, I put a bunch of time in 2018 doing some video game art stuff, and, and you can kind of see it above me. I know it gets mostly cropped out uh, in the, the main podcast feed. Uh, all print on demand kind of things. And, and like when I say I've had minor success, it's I've sold like raw sales. So not, not gross like profit or anything, but um, I think I crossed about the 10,000 us mark since 2018, oh. a little trickle, get some in around the holidays. And this is the perfect side hustle for me. And I'm trying to, to explore taking this kind of stuff and trying to, to operate at scale because I can put in a bunch of work. Mm -hmm. Front load it. But then it's pretty set it and forget it afterwards. I have to handle the occasional support request. You know, somebody's shipping doesn't happen. I got to deal with that. But the amount of hours I put in now that it's up and running relative to what I get out of it, it's, it's, it's perfect. But it is at a very, very small scale. Um, for, for those that aren't aware of how like print on demand and, and sort of direct garment fulfillment stuff works. In the old days, if I wanted to sell art and I was going to sell prints, I would have to pay to have a bunch of prints made. And then I would have to warehouse those prints or store them myself. And then I would have to deal with the cost of, of shipping them, fulfilling them, you know, all from my operation or whatever. 
which means not only are you you dealing with an upfront investment that you got to hope to recoup back, and there's the risk associated with that, but it's just a pain in the ass. You know, something as simple as, well, where am I going to put all of this shit? Mm-hmm. With with the direct printing kind of print on demand sort of stuff that's sprung up in the last 10 years, you don't got to worry about that. Now it brings its other challenges, like making sure, you know, because you're not in control of quality, you need to be pretty selective about what you're doing, who's doing it. You know, there's, there's a lot of ways for it to go poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't got into the whole like garment game, like clothing, fashion stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's somewhere I think I want to go next um, and maybe involve my wife in. It's so mm. uber competitive. Like the, the interesting thing about what I'm doing and the reason why it is at such a small scale is that I'm not paying to advertise. I'm not paying to market. Like I literally, I list my shit on Etsy and people, people that want to find that kind of shit naturally come to places like Etsy and search for it. Mm-hmm. So it is very much set it, forget it. Where once you get into like, like I could probably just take what I've done now and and start doing things like, well, let me sell it on Amazon. But now I'm I'm incurring monthly costs. Yeah. I'm um, you know, the and, cut and the you other get from Amazon is very very small as well. Yeah, so I need to to be able to count on volume. And again, I'm just moving into a more competitive space. I don't know what's worth it, and also like with the particular thing that I'm doing uh, with the video game art. Um, I'm not doing anything that obviously infringes on very, very obvious copyright other than um, I'm developing artwork that is very obviously inspired by a particular game. And in some cases there's visuals that like you can tell looking at it, oh, hey, that looks like it's from that game. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had a few instances where the stuff that I've done has just kind of fallen into blanket sort of copyright claim stuff that happens on Etsy once in a while where like, it's less that they've looked at the art and said, that's bad. It's more that I had a particular tag or even just inspired by the Witcher or something like that in the description. And they just, they provide a list of like, here's a thousand listings to Etsy and Etsy just shuts them all down. And then it's kind of like YouTube copyright strike stuff where you then have to, yeah. Prove that you're actually not doing it. And that's kind of a pain in the ass. And and trying to scale that up is going to create more of, of that for me, just mm-hmm. doing this stuff. Now, I am going to expand this. I've, I've sort of got my shit set up to, to get back into doing the artwork again. But realistically, that's not a turn this into hundreds of dollars a month of, of reliable recurring income that I'm looking at. What uh, it's hard because you haven't done any of this and you don't have much desire. Have you ever had any real ideas of things that you hadn't? I have. hadn't actually explored or like pulled the trigger on. Yeah, I mean, I've listen. I've I've invented you know the killer app a bunch of times and then looked at okay, you know as a. That's a very basic type, you know, hey, I can, I can write an Excel macro or I can, you know, like I can, I can make an algorithm to do what I want. <clears throat> um, looking at the work that's involved and actually getting it 
to where it needs to be. I'm like, no, just it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, I have, I thought about, uh, not so much a side hustle, but I thought about, about writing, right? Like actually putting words on paper and trying to flog that. Um, but again, like the biggest challenge that I find is just like, where do you find the time? Right. Um, like I, today, for example, I mean, I woke up this morning, I drank a cup of coffee, I built a shelf, I drove Cindy somewhere, I'm doing this. Like that's, you know, it's my day off and it's basically gone. Uh, and that's that's what a regular day looks like for me. Like where where do you find the time to do it? You know, and, um, and maybe I, that's, you know, I guess when it's the kind of thing that you have to put a lot of work into steadily, you just don't. Like, there's a trade-off. You have hobbies or you don't. Yeah. Um, something like writing. I don't know. Like, it would be an interesting thing where if you said to yourself, okay, my hobbies are on hold for three months. I want to get 50,000 words down on paper during these three months. Like, mm-hmm. would that would that be something you think you could fit into your life? Um, like, if I you wanted to could. take it seriously, I don't. I don't know that I could actually do it. I've. I mean, I've sat down to do it a couple of times. There's a. Uh, there's an organization slash webpage slash movement, uh, NaNoWriMo National Novel Writing Month, right? Which is mm-hmm. November. Like we're in the middle of it, or it's over now. My God, it's December. Um. And I like I've sat down to do it a couple of times. I've gotten to twenty or thirty thousand words and realized like this just like trying to do it that way doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to like I I really need kind of back and forth, right? Like I'm really good at I I think I'm really good at um you know coming up with like Dungeons and Dragons type stuff, but there needs to be a little bit of input for me to do that, mm-hmm. right? There needs to be needs to be something for me to hook onto right to to create that so i've thought about writing before um you know and i again i i have a bajillion ideas for like you know killer apps and like uh, this is gonna completely change the world kind of things um Um, Way back in the day, I wanted to look at developing a platform where authors could Mm -hmm. self-publish that allowed you to almost release content episodically and and people that, you know, this is back before things like Patreon existed. This is back before, I mean, there's people who have executed on this idea better than I ever would have now. You know, that that tends to be the the thing for me. I have a a bunch of great ideas. I'll do some a little bit of prototyping that'll be like, this is fantastic. And then, you know, you get to the point where you gotta put real work into it. That's like, yeah. Now I gotta I gotta work. It's gonna be a second job, and I gotta deal with people. That's the killer for me. (laughs) Right. If you could find me a side hustle where I never have to deal with a human being where it's like, I don't know, I gotta push a button, and every time I push the button, I get a banana. I'm I'm all in. I'll push that button and eat bananas for the rest of my life. <sighs> but I yeah. got to go to meetings, got to pitch it, got to sell it, got to find somebody to buy it, got to convince them that they need it. Uh, I don't know. Like there's two things. Number one, that would be really uncomfortable for me. And number two, it's ideologically, I'm kind of opposed to it. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm biting my tongue a little bit with the whole idea of, you know, passive income. 
it just because like the I, I think about how that income flows through like the whole system and like someone somewhere is doing work for nearly nothing. And that, you know, as much as I don't like well, people, I, I do want them to all to find success. Yeah. And I think, I mean, what you're not saying, you know, what you're saying is not wrong. Like look at the artwork stuff that I do. Someone somewhere is doing work for nearly nothing. That someone is me, right? Because by the time I see money, everybody has taken their chunk out of it already. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm paying for the physical product. I'm paying for the cost of the, the, the labor of doing the, the printing. I'm, I'm, I'm paying for the fulfillment stuff. So it's not, it's not like, Hey, random sweatshop in China that, you know, are basically slave laborers putting out this shit. The reality is, is why it's passive sort of supplemental trickle income uh, versus real income is that what's left for me afterwards is very, very small. But the trade-off and the, 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 the acceptable trade-off is I, I don't have any of the risks that I would have if I tried to do it a more traditional way. Mm -hmm. Like the risks of paying to have a you know, whole bunch of stuff screen printed or, or properly printed, warehousing it, sitting on a bunch of stuff that I may never sell and recoup my money back. Like I don't have to deal with that. It's an interesting model, like the people that do succeed with this style of thing, because it, it can be a a filter for things that are, are are worth taking seriously. Like eventually it gets to the point, like let's say I'm doing t-shirts. Like I would probably not get into doing t-shirts. I've thought about it before, but it's so competitive. And you know, I'm not I'm not that kind of artist where I think I would produce something that would be super clever that people would be interested in. But um, at some point, you hit a point where, like, if you know you're going to have enough sales of this, it's cheaper to print on mass, mm -hmm. stock them, screen print them, fulfill them yourselves, or, or do the, the paid fulfillment portion of it or whatever, Amazon warehousing, things like that, rather than doing the on-demand, because all of a sudden, the number of people taking a cutout, you know, immediately at the time of sale goes mm -hmm. down. There's, there's efficiencies to explore, but you can use this on-demand type stuff to find the products that are worth doing that so that you're not having to take so many leaps of faith. But I don't think it's, you know, it's... I'm not disagreeing with what you said. I just, I want to re reword it in that the way you said it implies an exploitative component of it that isn't always the case and in some cases there is right like and that's the thing is especially yeah. when when you look at like, i mean if i if i were to to sum up in one sentence exactly what the problem with the biggest problem that i see in the world is that there's too many middlemen right mm -hmm. there's there's somebody makes a thing somebody you know buys it for nothing sells it for a little more someone buys it for that sells it for a little more and a little more and a little more and a little more and there's all this this giant chain in the middle that doesn't actually do anything other than say i know it needs to go somewhere right where that really should be anyway my point is that it's entirely possible that it isn't exploitative somewhere mm -hmm. but there's a good chance that you know like whoever's making the t-shirts is working in a sweatshop in china uh, whoever's mm -hmm. printing the t-shirts could be working and you just don't know right and that's that's, that's true and 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 like 
the clothing industry, fashion industry is, is, is a perfect example of, yeah, there's, there's, there's yeah. very likely some exploitation happening. And, and I've flirted with the idea of getting into that. Um, but I haven't yet, you know, I, I know that, um, I mean, the stuff that I'm having, yes, somebody has to manufacture the canvas stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've done a pretty good job of that. And okay, that stuff's actually domestic. Um, mm. It's easier for that stuff to be domestic in a lot of cases because it's it's materials that are difficult to, to ship across borders, which is something that I found actually particularly interesting. Um, a couple of years back, I had a whole bunch of orders that I had to cancel and refund uh, people that bottom from australia and i didn't realize at the time oh wow like literally anything with wood in it you can't move into australia nope and no, i get it really... like when you think about it like yeah the cane toads the camels yep. the the pigs oh yeah it's crazy yep. yeah I, I totally get it but it was one of those things where you know I'd, like i didn't think to even restrict my sales in advance to places like that because like I mean, why would I know that? That's that's this one is, of the learning is, lessons. Yeah, and this is one of those things too that like also shocks people about why are things so expensive, right? And it's mm -hmm. because somebody somewhere has to figure all of that out, and and that that takes time, right? Like I, I run into that in my job all the time, where someone will say, "Well, I, I, that's simple. It's just it's like an hour worth of effort." Well, yeah, once you know the solution. Finding the solution takes the time, and it's it's the same mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I don't, I, I definitely don't want to um, to jump all over the idea of you know like selling stuff on Etsy. It's just it's one of those things that crosses my mind every time that I think about um, like, hey, I could buy this, I could sell this, I could get involved in, in something, something. It's like, where is it? Like, where is it coming from? Like, what what links are in this chain that I don't know about? And part mm -hmm. of it is because I've been listening to the Behind the Bastards podcast, right? Mm -hmm. And they've they, in the last in the last week, I've I've listened about the British East India Company, um, and the uh, the Dutch one, um, and there's like the 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 Belgian Congo thing, which was, I mean, I knew it was bad. And then I listened to this and I'm like, oh, wow, like we're just scratching the surface and it was real bad. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's and the the sort of repercussions of that are, are going forward. So it 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 sort of sits in my mind about. Like, what am I doing and is that OK? Mm -hmm. So it's yeah, it's just it just sits at the front of my mind whenever whenever I think about stuff. Hey, and it's, you know, uh, uh You've accused your thing yourself of being a lot of things in the past, not overly positive, but it is a testament to your character that you take the time to even think about those things where most people don't, you know, our, our entire capitalist based society is, is dependent on the fact that most people don't both as, as producers and mm -hmm. consumers, right? They just don't think about it. And I get it. Like, it's a lot of effort yeah. to think about it. It's the reason that people don't get involved in politics. Um, and you know what? Strangely enough, that's that's a pretty good segue into table talk if you want to do that. Yeah, let's get into it. So, table talk, where we, we talk about things table. Um, we started up... <laughs> A, uh, well, I got an oak table. I got a, I got a coffee table. 
a dining room table. It's funny you should say that because, of course, we moved into this house, which is – I don't know if I've talked about this uh, on the podcast before, but this house – it's just Cindy and I, right? And the house is too big for us, but we had the the option of, for the same price, we can get a big house with a wooded backyard at the nice end of town with a paved driveway and a garage that's a little too big. Or we can get the one at the other end of town that was built in 1948, has never been maintained, is half the size, is full of asbestos, and needs to be basically torn down and rebuilt. So, but the house being big, we have, uh, like, we, we literally have a room upstairs that we don't know, like, what do we do with it? I, I don't know. Like, we'll put some furniture in there, cover it in plastic, and we'll never go in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so tables, right? Like we have, we have our dining room table that we had in the apartment and the apartment was like 800 square feet. And the house that we lived in before that was 600 square feet. So it's a tiny little table. Like you can't fit four people around it. If you want to ha- also have plates, mm-hmm. it's a card table almost. That's our dining room table, which now sits in the middle of what's supposed to kind of be a living room. Right. But I had also bought these Ikea tables for, for desks at the previous house that sat in the basement. So one of those is now sort of in the kitchen as our, you know, regular everyday eating table. I have two more of those tables and I also have two Ikea tables that are stacked against the wall in my office that I don't really know what to do with. So I do, in fact, have six or seven tables in my house most of which are in some state of disassembly you still have some of the old flimsy land party tables don't you i don't we actually threw those out before we moved we did have them at the apartment we threw them out as we were were packing up to move here and that was oh my god when was the last time we used those 20 years ago nearly yeah probably 2005 ish maybe I mean, and we, we paid like $9 for them or something stupid. And they, they I mean, yeah, they were those, those shitty, like fiberboard card tables that you could buy at Walmart with just like, they were painted black metal frames, really, really flimsy. Uh, and it was enough just covered in like a, like really leatherette, shitty leatherette vinyl. And, and that's the first thing that went on mine. Like that stuff all started falling apart. Oh, I yeah. got rid of my tables probably in. 2006 2007 but i do remember you saying you still had the the ones we bought oh they were covered in duct tape and patched and yeah the legs actually lasted pretty well they they had a little bit of rust on them but they were in in reasonably good shape see back Um, in the land party days telson and i were the ones that tried to facilitate it for everybody else like we didn't just buy a table for ourselves we bought i think we bought four tables each didn't we four or five yeah yeah so that we yep. had them so that we could comfortably get eight people plus in, in at one of these land parties. But we bought those tables before we bought those big ass oh Trinitron monitors. Yeah, <laughs> the hundred pound, yeah. pound monitors. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you remember the sound those tables used to make when you just set them on it? Oh, it was, oh. <laughs> Start bowing like this in the middle. Not the metal oh, yeah. frames, just the, the fiber the board. board and vinyl. You, you, you had to put the foot of the monitor right in the corner of the table or it was going through. Uh, yeah, those were the days. Anyway, so Dungeons and Dragons. We had our, our first actual session uh, this past week and we're having another one tomorrow. Uh, and the reason that the previous discussion was a little bit of a segue into this is that I made the gigantic 
um, conceptual leap that my world doesn't really use money. Um, there's a kind of a concept of money, um, but it's a little bit more like, uh, it was kind of funny because you, you, you said they don't use money. And then immediately afterwards, you're like, but they have this system with something called stones. And each of these stones has a value that's appropriate to, you know, a day's work or something like that. And it's like, oh, so they got money. Money. Yeah. <laughs> so not, and, instead of and, being like two dimensional round coin shapes, they're <laughs> three dimensional. Well, I, I, here's okay. But here's the thing, right? To go into a little bit more detail about that, because I was backpedaling because it is really, really hard to wrap your mind around. Um, because one of the things like the original Dungeons and Dragons that that uh, Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson came up with, like you got experience points for finding money. The point of the game was to find money and make money and get money. And when you read uh, like Gary Gygax's sort of correspondence around the game that didn't make it into rule books and stuff. It was all about how do you take players' money away? Because the only way that they're going to go out adventuring again is if they run out of money. Um, and it, like we've evolved a little bit beyond that in the game now, where it's like your, your motivation is mm-hmm. sometimes money based or it's collection based, but it's not necessarily, well, I've got enough money, so I'm going to stop adventuring now. Because we want to keep playing the game. As a brief interruption, quasi parting gift, if you're interested in this, Puffin Forest did a read through of the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons rules. It really called attention to some of the what interesting things. Thinking, yeah, Yeah. check it out. Okay, sorry, didn't I mean I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's totally fine. Um, So the the stones were were more a, a. and I've one of the things that I warned people about when I started this thing was like there's chance the good chance that stuff is going to get retconned and changed on the fly as we find it doesn't work and 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 one of the things that I changed nearly immediately was that stones are not money they're 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 the same um sort of meta idea that money is that here is here is a marker for something um. But it's it's more it's more like markers like you see in really bad um, mobster movies from Vegas, where it's here is a marker. It means that like I'm calling in a favor. Yeah. Uh, so someone would say, "Hey, I need help plowing my field this afternoon. Here's a stone." And the social pressure is that okay, this is someone asking me for help, and the the stone is a marker that says, "Help! I really need help." Right. And the, the, you feel more of a social obligation to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to do this and I'll accept the stone. But I mean, it's not really, it's not really payment so much as, as it, as it is an indication of gratitude, I guess. And also yeah, obligation. When you start turning in stones that are in for drinks and food, I mean, it's pretty much money at that point. It, yeah. If you did, um, but you don't. Uh, it, it, well, this was something that we'll have to explore as we go on and I'm going to need some help with the con- the concept of it because we, like, it's like I say, like everything in our lives is driven by money. You cannot exist anywhere in the modern world without money. Like you walk outside your front door and somebody's asking to be paid. Uh, and uh, I kind of want to create a fantasy setting where that isn't the case. That isn't Star Trek. Um, speaking of, have you seen New Horizons? 
New Horizons. Is it New Horizons? I don't know. There's a Strange new Star new Trek. Worlds? Yeah, that's the one. Yes. Okay, I haven't. Cindy just started watching it, and I, I like caught a few minutes of it. The, I'm like, the Chris Pine Enterprise, or not the Chris Pine, the Christopher Pike Enterprise yes. one with Anson Mount. Yeah, I actually, Tony and I quite enjoy it. Yes, like, I, I I caught a few minutes of it. I'm after, like this. This looks like Star, Star Trek. Trek. Like it, it, it isn't, but of all the it's like close. the modern sort of everything yes. after Enterprise. Um, and and following in the wake of and almost being a spinoff of Discovery, which was just insufferable. It is a they ray were, of sunshine, even if it isn't. It's Star not, Trek. It is. But, it is modern Star Trek. Like they, they're obviously. It's inspired you know, by for sure. It's 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 closer to the Orville, which is if yeah. you get past the 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 sort of Seth MacFarlane comedy that's on top of it is probably the best Star Trek we've had in a long time. Yeah. I it, it, Orville would probably be the best Star Trek we've had in a long time. You just take Seth MacFarlane out of it. I like Seth MacFarlane. But I, I'm, you can't but take it, him out of it because it, it, he isn't just the the guy. That, like that whole thing is his vision. Like the whole I know. I know. paying homage. <laughs> like it comes across almost as parody. Like even the, 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 the way the... Like they take plot ideas out of good Star Trek episodes and recycle them, but it isn't, it isn't parody. It's an homage. And sometimes they do it even better than the original. He's not trying to come up with a lot of original ideas. Why, why would you, there aren't any, you know, the, the slap in the family guyish comedy on top of it. I mean, that got dulled down by season two, you You know, have to, because it's not family. Anyway. Yeah. So, so, uh, back to the the table talk thing. I think it went reasonably well. I I sort of assigned everybody um, a a rough archetype of a personality, which I lifted wholesale from Firefly. Um, Did you realize you were doing it right yes. away? Okay, almost almost immediately. Yeah, like I wrote down. I I think I had. I think I did. I did Cindy's first. I did Tanya's second, and then I'm like. Okay, so I know that I want to make Chris the leader. Okay, these these are this is the crew of the Firefly. Like I I, I got it, right? And then uh, starting on Sunday, uh, my friend Rich will be playing with us. Um, and I was like, I've I've run out of characters from Firefly to so I didn't actually. What part of the reason is, is that I haven't played Dungeons and Dragons with him, so I, I didn't have a personality to try and That's stretch fine. him into but i did i did actually have a role to stretch him into and i i took a stab at he's probably never played one of these before and the very first thing he says well i've never done this before so so has and he played dnd he has he actually okay. on on sunday afternoons we may sometimes have to push it to 6 30 or 6 45 because he will be coming home from his brother's house where he's playing in a, in a dungeons and dragons campaign um anyway so he'll be he'll be starting uh on sunday uh but yeah so i i assigned those and then i was you know i've lost the the thread of what i was trying to say here Mm -mm -mm. that's probably not important roles archetypes yeah there was it was just sort of pushing everybody a little bit outside their comfort zone and then (laughs) you know making up the story and trying to figure out like how how does a world run without money and in the end it's basically 
like the the town, especially because it's a small town, basically works like like a commune, right? If if you've mm-hmm. got, you share. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see if if people can actually do that. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting. First of all, it's it, you know what trying to 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 develop a setting with those fence posts in mind is is I think it's an interesting challenge and refreshing. It'll be interesting to see if it works, and I'm not going to actively try and derail it, you know, with my own ideas. Um, but I'll, I will try and contribute where I can. It's also interesting being a player in the game. Now, first of all, don't take anything I say here as a criticism because it isn't. Okay. Okay. Um, and and we sort of we ran into these differences as we were both trying to contribute to this initially, and we had our our beef, right? <laughs> yeah. But it struck me last week that this is the first real homebrew of yours that I've played. Like you did sort of the hub homebrew stuff, but you, Mm -hmm. for the day-to-day stuff that we were doing in sessions, you were leaning on other things and sort of building off of them. So for context for the listeners, our OG group that just picked things back up last Sunday, we picked up like a couple of years ago, getting into Curse of Strahd. Mm -hmm. We played through a sort of a modified kind of leaned out curse of Strahd where you uh-huh. sort of pick and chose some stuff and, and made some sensible changes for, for our group. And then we jumped into sort of a hub adventure that started turning into this homebrew thing for, for Telson, which imagine the TVA from Loki. Cause at, the first thing when episode oh, one yeah. of Loki dropped, uh, I, I kicked Telson a text or messaged him and I'm like, I hope they're playing your royalties because <laughs> Telson had established this sort of very similar idea, even very similar themed kind of thing. It was close. But with with what he was doing, it, it allowed for like a almost a quantum leapy style thing where you would get dropped into a setting in a place with with different, you know, functionally speaking, you could play a different class or, or even a different game system entirely. Uh, we didn't explore that too, too much, but what you ran in those games. So you did Curse of Strahd, then you were leaning on some of the stuff from Tales from the Awning Portal. Um, You got us Mm -hmm. partway into Sunless Citadel. And then Hidden Shrine of Tamawachan. Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. The sort of Mesoamerican sort of themed kind of thing. I think this is the first real, like homebrew everything including the maps aside from some of the one shoddy stuff that we did like that that one session you did where i was like ellie the goat and <laughs> the heist oh my god that was terrible yeah. oh, it was a lot of fun but it was awful <laughs> yeah and then the the stuff we started doing where we were you know being attacked by dragons in the middle of deep river oh yeah the this is the real life thing yeah yeah so i noticed last session and again not a criticism just a this is different than the stuff i've experienced before is that your the way you're doing it was very much like how you were looking to build the world you know where before when you were basing it on existing module material there was there was structure and everything kind of fit mm-hmm. together thematically 
where I think the best analogy that I could draw would be you went to a yard sale or a thrift store and mm-hmm. bought a whole bunch of other people's like dungeon tiles or stuff like that. So you got a box of random stuff that doesn't necessarily fit together. And you're like, ooh, that's interesting. Let me put that one on the table. Yep. Ooh, that one's interesting. Let me put that one on the table. So there isn't that that connective tissue. So this goes right back to the beginning of our beef where you're like, dude, I just I want some random seeds and random ideas. And I'm trying to connect everything. It, you're very not much connected. Yeah. Yeah. Because and not only from like a world bur- world burning holy shit will the world burned yes (laughs) not a world building sort of preparation for a session perspective but actually running the session it was interesting to just you go into this this burial mound and all of a sudden this is here yeah and all of a sudden this comes out of it and it's just it's and i don't want to say juvenile but not in a negative way in a refreshing way where imagine being a dungeon master at the age of 14 running your first sort of D sessions and you're not worried about making sense of everything you just want to throw cool shit out make cool shit happen yep it'll be interesting because that's very much so far i'm only one session in but very much so far what it seems like you're trying to do just as a player in it. I'm interested to see how sustainable that is and how players, not just myself, can suspend enough disbelief to continue to interact with the world as if it's a world, even though it doesn't, the puzzle pieces intentionally don't always fit. Yeah, well, the central conceit of the world is that it's it's basically several overlapping worlds. Yeah. Right? Like, it's it's imagine that you took all of those one-shots and went, funk, they all exist on the same small planetoid. Right? You, you end up with, like, jaguars fighting polar bears. And it doesn't make any sense, right? Like, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason for it. it it's... It's almost like the the connective tissue is going to be rather than rather than building it up by like three d printing it this layer and then this layer and then this layer. It's like here's a jumble of shit. It's literally like a tangled ball of yarn. Let me explain to you why it's a sweater mm-hmm. right and that's that's kind of the it's kind of the the thing that I'm going for, right? I want to I want to build it out of pieces as the pieces sort of show up, which is how my brain works. Mm-hmm. Like I've I've mentioned before, like like there's there's sort of two standard ideas about design. Either you start with the pieces and you assemble them together into a thing, or you start with the thing and then you figure out what pieces you need to make that thing. I tend to start in the middle and go, well, I'm going to need this piece because it's going to go there. And it's like, well, you don't know what the the final thing is, and you don't know what all the pieces you have are. And it's like, yeah, but I got these three cool pieces. I want to see what I can make out of it. And that's, that's sort of where I'm going for it. So if that's the feeling that you're getting, then I'm, I'm hitting the mark I want to hit. I agree with you though. It'll be interesting to see if I can keep it up. Yeah. And I mean, there's a certain amount of, um, let's call it what it is. 
just making shit up as you go along, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, like good Dungeons and Dragons is a lot of that. So again, it isn't a, like a negative criticism, but it is very obvious that like there isn't like there's, there's pieces of a world here, loose tiny pieces. Yeah. And we're going to make up everything else as it becomes relevant. So mm-hmm. um, it'll be interesting to see how, how like players around you sort of stay on for that ride. Well, it depends like, on how much of a, a, how much of a driving force they're willing to be too. Yeah. Yeah. How did you, th- okay. Let's look at session one. What were your expectations for session one, and how do you think it went relative to your expectations? Um, my expectations—I'll be honest with you—like the 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 um, situation at the Barrow was intended to be a little bit more of a puzzle than it was. Like there were an awful lot more pieces to that that, that I expected to get to before. Oh, hey, we should destroy the portal. Oh, okay. Right. Like if, if I had, if I had pulled this from an online module, I'd be like, they went and looked up the module and read how this is supposed to be solved because it was that quick. Um, and in reality, it's just because like all of you are really good at figuring out how my brain works. And I, I mean, it wasn't intended to be a difficult puzzle. No, no. It was a session one. It was a, it yeah, was a it tutorial was in, mission. Yeah. It was a better like, term. Get used to your characters, sort of get a feel for how the world works, get a feel for how you're going to be interacting with each other, get a feel for who's in town, which, you know, I don't know. I, I, I found it really funny. I, I did not, by the way, uh, make up Ellie, the uh, the um, Ellie, the wise woman, I think is what I called mm-hmm. her. Um, I did not make up that name after Tanya chose L as her name. It was just, that was kind of like amusing. Is this going to be confusing? Yeah, probably, but that's okay. We'll roll with it. It's opportunities for confusion, which are always good for role-playing. Um, I, I, my expectations, honestly, were just that there would be a lot of questions and a lot of like, why am I here and doing this? Um, I have to say that m- my expectations were that Chris would step into his role and be pretty good at it, and he exceeded all of them. But in a fun way. Yes, very. Um, it, it, so, so going back to characters, and if anybody's listening here, this is not a criticism of the characters and, and what you did. I, it, was, it was all great. I found it funny how you were trying to thrust people into uncomfortable, not uncomfortable, but just different positions yep. and roles and archetypes. And, and they did that, but also found a way to drag it back to yeah. I'm still playing I, the character I always play. Yeah, and that's you fine. know, like like Cindy's playing. Uh, what was her archetype? Was the um, she, she was what, playing um, uh, Jane, wasn't she? Jane, like the Jane without, Cobb character. Yeah, but without without the the dark edge. Yeah, right. It was more just the punch first, ask questions later. Like rather than say, how should we approach this? Oh, geez, I think there's something behind the door. It would be not, no, fuck it, kick the door in. Let's go. Yeah. And, and Which, she stepped into that pretty well. She did, but she, then she managed to marry it with the the very the f- much Cindy stuff. The, oh, this is beer, and it's amazing, and I'm going to go take one to my gran. And, wait, who's <laughs> Graham? Oh, your grandmother? 
Like, you know, because yeah. we didn't have enough backstory to even really, really know that. So I think a few of us were a bit confused there where it's like, what, what is she doing yep. and where is she going? And it's like, oh, she's just, she's playing K or K-I-R or whatever, but you know, That's this fine. one actually fights. Yep. It's totally fine. Yeah. No, you know? it worked out well. And, and, and Tanya, similarly, she's just, <laughs> part of it is, is she, she's never even really looked at druids and how they work before. No, nope. but she's just like the first thing a druid's gonna do is take these hand axes and do some backflips and, <laughs> which is which was perfect. It's totally fine. Yeah. Oh, and it's, it, and she she yeah. felt like she was doing it wrong, and I was trying to reiterate afterwards. Like I think she hasn't leveled up yet, so we're probably gonna go through that maybe today or tomorrow morning. Um, and she's worried about, well, I guess I'll have to learn how to play a druid properly. I'm like, no, don't, don't lose that, that part no. of you that is uniquely, this is what Tanya is playing D and D no. because that, that levity is something that like our group needs. Yeah. Mechanically no, it, speaking, you can, you know, learn uh, how to whatever, but yeah. Like mark off the spells that you cast, cast them at the wrong time. That's fine. Don't cast spells at all. Like yep. go, go poke people with a stick. I like, it's fine, mm-hmm. right? It's it was it was really just to to give a, a and I mean you you grow into it, right? Like you go, I don't I don't mm-hmm. know how druids work. I'm gonna spend 15 minutes looking at my character. Oh, I can do that. Okay, well that's gonna be mm-hmm. what I do this session, and that's that's fine. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to start at level one as well. I liked what Chris did. I, I, I'm still giggling about it because, I mean, you thrust him into a leadership role, but he's actively paying it like like the bad poser leader, you know, <laughs> where it's just like, I'm in charge, we're doing this now, and at the first sign that we're done, it's hanging a mission accomplished sign, you know? It's none of this... <laughs> And it's an interesting contrast because, like, as a whole group, all of us as players, when we were doing Curse of Strahd, we got to the point where we were so paranoid about everything when we didn't need to be that we're, you know, cautiously moving and looking for traps. And then (laughs) the one moment we'd be like, oh, hey, you know what? He hasn't sprung something on us in three sessions. And we're just like, fuck it, YOLO. That's when we would, you know, run into shit. (laughs) So to have, have Chris doing this, I'm the leader, follow me. Like it's, 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 it's almost a Leroy Jenkins kind of thing. Yep. Without, without being obviously that. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how like he's going to deal with that as he ultimately, probably by the middle of session two or three, leads us into some serious trouble we can't handle. I, I yeah. Well, that's one of the things too is that like I, I, I'm. There's okay, so there's this weird dichotomy too because Rich and Chris and I were part of a, a fellowship in EverQuest that we mm-hmm. called, you know, Shenanigans. Uh, and every Monday night we would go out and do stuff, and we would, we just like we we all worked so well together that we did things that shouldn't really have been possible, mm-hmm. right? And it was and it was more or less routine. It's like here's stuff that's like way over leveled for us, and oh, okay, we wiped a couple of times, but we we got it done in the end. You know, or we we found a, a way around it. So it's going to be interesting to see because um, both both Rich and Chris are kind of um, I, I don't want to say power gamery type people, but they're they do think about like okay, what are the synergies between this? How do I build this in an optimal way? Kind of mm-hmm. thing, right? Which is a little bit different from the rest of the group. And I have 
I have noticed that uh, Chris tends to look at building characters that way, mm-hmm. but he doesn't play them that way. No, no, no. That And that's what's so fun about it. Like, I mean, he's playing a, a, a character that can, like, how do I want to say this? We can get over his, like, our heads as a group because we followed him into a bad situation. And then his character, mechanically speaking, can pull us out of it, which will yep. just sort of feed into the persona yep. of follow me. Like, yep. I just, you know, that you see it a million times in movies where, like, somebody's listening at a door, they're trying to pick a lock, and then somebody just walks in behind them, kicks the door open, and charges in. Yeah. And, and that's what I got out of Chris's character. Uh, like, last session, which was Let's great. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and we're and playing a, younger characters too that don't have a ton of experience. So it's very appropriate. That cocksure yes. kind of like, I've never been, I've never been slapped in the face. You know, I've never had yep. my ass handed to me yet. I'm special. <laughs> yeah. We got this guys. Fuck planning. Fuck, you know. Yep. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what Rich adds to the to the dynamic because that's that's the one thing about adding another pe- a person to a group that that worries me a little bit. And I'm not worried. I like Rich is a great guy. I think you guys will like him. Uh, but there's always just that. Okay, well now the dynamic changes a little bit, and how does that affect everything else? Uh, we'll have to see how it goes. Yeah, I'm not too I worried mean, about it. I think I think we'll have a ton of fun. I, I do have, and this is this is one of those things. Is like session one. I didn't have a lot of plans, right? I had some vague ideas, but I really and like we've talked about before with with me trying to just just create it. I can't. I have learned that it is not useful for me to create a lot of stuff ahead of time. No, because you'll all just skip it, and none of it's useful. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Like after the the first little bit, it's like okay, well here's here's the next kind of breadcrumbs, and I'll see which ones you follow, and then I'll flesh that out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that'll be like we haven't established it yet. Again, it's only one session, but right now there isn't aside from just general world state stuff that like this is the way the world is, and everybody just sort of accepts it. There isn't that overarching sort of like we've got something in mind that we're working towards yet. Yeah. So like it was literally, hey, guy told us to go to this thing and we went to this thing, solved it very quickly, came back. Now we're just having some drinks and there's there's nothing else yet. There's no, well, what are we doing tomorrow? That'll come. You know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, yeah, and that's that's the thing too, is yeah. is like it it all it all sort of builds on itself. Yeah. And we'll see how we'll see how high we can build the tower of Jenga before it all comes crashing down. There's one thing well, I wanted to ask you about. You're building a world where the tower come crashing down is thematically appropriate, so we can yes. make that work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, I was doing some transferring yesterday. I think um, I, I want. Okay, so like off onto a tangent. Um, I took my computer apart, mm-hmm. um, and uh, just to put some hard drives in it because I have some hard drives sitting around from other computers where I'm like, I think I have some data stored on here that like might be important. Rust. Yeah. Yeah, wow. like several. I uh, I pulled one out and I'm like, do I even want to install this? This is 160 gigabytes, <laughs> <laughs> right? I w- here's okay. So here is here is the ultimate. Oh my god, I'm getting old. Moment. I took my computer apart and went, where in the fuck is my hard drive? Right? Like I know it's an M.2 NVMe, so it's going to be tiny and it's a card and it's slotted in somewhere. I'm like, where is it? 
it's under my video card. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I, I had to, I wanted to plug in some extra SATA drives. I had to take my video card out anyway. And then I'm like, cause the SATA ports are also like under the front of the video card. I'm like, okay, so this is annoying. Fine. I don't want to take the video card out. What if I take the front bezel off? Cause they're like, I could maybe get in them into them that way. Maybe they left a hole there where you can plug in SATA cables. Nope, it's solid mesh. But in taking the front panel off, I had to take the power button out. The power button is not actually in a socket of any kind. It's just sort of sitting in a little hole where it doesn't really clip in. For for context, before I let him continue here, Telson betrayed everything that nerds hold dear, and he bought a pre-made computer. Yeah, it was $1,000 cheaper. we, We spent 20 years piecing together computers out of whatever hardware we could find in a Ford and customizing it, doing our own case mods. And no, he just, uh, I don't have time Asus anymore. One. It looks good. Yeah, buy that. To be fair. Yes. It would have been cheaper at that particular time. Oh, that was fantastically cheap at the very tail end of the, um, uh, crypto mining, uh, really influencing the prices of graphics cards so it was actually cheaper for me to because the 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 tower has a 3070 gtx in it or rtx 3070 in it Mm -hmm. and it was cheaper to buy the box than it was to buy the video card on its own yeah so you are correct however i did now having said that as soon as i bought it i took the ram out and replaced it but now you have to deal with all the pre-made bullshit of uh, it's it's actually it's actually pretty well put together it was more a question of because i didn't put it together i'm like where in the fuck is anything um so i took the front bezel off i took the power button off and i'm like oh my god so i'm elbows deep in this thing trying to figure out how okay so i gotta take the video card out and i take the video card out and then i put the plug the sata cables in and they just because there's this this freaking angle bracket on the front of the video card to hold it in because of course it's a brick and it it just barely interferes with the SATA cables, so you have to take the SATA cables and very carefully, ninety degree, bend them out of the way. I get the thing back in, I get it all put back together. I push the power button, and nothing happens. And that was when I sent you the message that I can't find the okay, Molex so cable. Okay, so you you weren't actually talking about Vampire Dong then? No, no. See, no. I, I thought you were making a joke about getting it up because it literally <laughs> went from one comment to it won't start or I, I can't turn it on or something like that. And I can't find yeah. the Molex cable. I was like, is he making was, a dog was, joke? <laughs> no, that was, that was, it was a non sequitur and it was intended to be a non sequitur, <laughs> but it, it was literally because I'm like, it won't start. Why? And the, the power button wasn't clicking anymore. Right. Because I hadn't pushed it in far enough. Anyway. So I took the whole thing apart and put it all, all back together again. Uh, one, the reason that I went on this giant tangent and told you about that is that I put, some of the older hard drives in and I had a bunch of movies that I had ripped from somewhere. And one of them is this thing called Orc Wars, um, which I thought, what the heck is that? So I looked it up on, on YouTube um, and I'm like, this looks like something I really, really want to watch. Like it's a kind of independent, low budget type of movie. It looks like somebody in Australia sort of bought, surplus after the lord of the rings movie was done and went hey can i have all of those orc costumes and they said sure give us 100 bucks and you can take them all home dressed up a bunch of his friends on the weekend and then like i gotta fight the orcs that are coming through the the 
you know, the tunnel and I'm going to do it with my Colt 45. And I, I mean, as ridiculous as that premise sounds, it looks like a lot of fun. So anyway, there's that. That's, that's my, uh, <laughs> my tangent for this episode. Uh, so closing thoughts on the, the table talk thing then before we move on, uh, we're playing again tomorrow. What do you expect? I, I'm hoping that we can integrate Rich reasonably well, that we will all get along and have fun, um, that we will punch monsters and take their stuff and that you will find some nifty things. I'm sure we can make that happen. Well, we've already talked about Ian a fair bit, but he did send a pod bag question. We're already getting late in the episode, but we're going to give you some 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 bonus material here because we recognize it's been a couple of weeks since we've put something out. You've got mail. This is actually tangentially related to some earlier conversation. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have a Contra video game t-shirt. I get comments on it all the time from all sorts of people. It really brings out old school video game nerds uh, out of the woodwork. Do you have similar piece of nerd fashion that seems to elicit comments from complete strangers? Do you view it as a gift or a curse? Um, and my answer would be no, not really. Um, I have grown out of every piece of nerd fashion that I've got. Um, I do have, we have a, a thing that happens at the arena here once a year called NerdCon? Geek, geek, fat, geek fest. That's what they call it. And it's basically just a, a bunch of, you know, nerds and geeks to get together and, and sell merchandise to each other. Um, I'm not entirely certain that they actually sell a lot. They do trade a lot of things back and forth. Uh, Cindy has gone a couple of times and she's brought home some, uh, some t-shirts, you know, the, the people you see on sort of the, the side of the street and they have all these weird things and, and, and spray paint and they'll be like, put down a jar lid and spray paint and then their hand and spray paint and, paper mm -hmm. and, spray. and they end up with this like, wow, look at this thing. Um, I have a couple of t-shirts that are, uh, like star Wars and doctor who scenes that are done that way with bleach on a black t-shirt. Um, they do occasionally elicit comments, but not of not of that strength or nature because it's subtle enough that people are just like, "Oh, hey, Star Wars." So, you know, do you neither have a gift nor a, a curse? Do you have a dress code at work? I know you work at, from home mostly now, but we do. Um, and, but it's basically like cover your bits. Oh. I would have um, like thought, it, like, I mean, you got a lot of engineers and, and like super nerds in that environment. I would have thought you would have had that kind of nerd office culture -y kind of stuff. Uh, it's no, it was one of the reasons actually when I was originally offered this job, one of the things that attracted me to this place is one of the people doing my interview was wearing uh, shorts and a T-shirt uh, because it was the middle of middle of July or August and it was hot. And the building didn't have air conditioning. He's just like, it's hot. I wore shorts. Um, we do have, like, there is a dress code. You have to wear closed-toed shoes. You can't wear heels. Um, just because there's a lot of a lot of places uh, at site which, like, there's crates mm -hmm. and things. So it's it's important to be safe like that. There's but nothing places that would you... prevent you from wearing, you know, nope. printed PU with nerd shit on it. No, nerd shit is fine. I think that I think there's something about uh, coarse language 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's something about uh, like political and religious symbols, if I recall correctly. But if it's if it's subtle, it's not. You know, like you couldn't wear, for example, something that was obviously derogatory towards anybody. Yeah. Not that I would, but it's actually in the rules. I want to get into like nerd fashion a little bit more again. Um, I used to be into it uh, a fair bit. When I say nerd fashion, I mean just t-shirts with nerdy shit on it. Um, that was like 75 pounds ago. So um, <laughs> there's a couple of factors that really lead up to me not. Um, one, I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that just doesn't buy a lot of clothes. Like I can have, you know, three pairs of shorts and, and four t-shirts and like, I'm good. Right. Like until, until like my nipples hanging out of one or something, like I don't need to replace it. Um, to a lot of the places that like I would have got stuff before, or Tanya would have bought me gifts before, um, like Think Geek and, and Jinx, like those, they don't no longer exist. They've gone under. So finding that shit, like, I mean, you can go on Etsy and you can certainly find shit on Amazon and stuff like that. But like there was these pop culture kind of like, these were the places you used to go for that kind of shit. And, and they, they kind of went up. The It Store. Remember yeah, the It but, Store? Yeah. I mean, no, they still that have that's... something like that now. But not that that's related, but the it yeah. store went out of fashion too, for the s- similar reasons yeah. where it's, this is popular for a bit and then it's not. Yep. This, this goes back actually, even to the, the, the side hustle discussion is that as much as the shit that we're into has become more mainstream, it's still incredibly niche. You know, the nerd culture that we're into dungeons and yeah. dragons stuff um, as much as it's it's way more mainstream than it used to be, it's still such a, a small percentage of a small percentage of a small percentage of pop culture. So places like Think Geek and, and Jinx that sort of, like they limited their audience to only these people, it was hard for them to, to stay alive. I do have a couple mm-hmm. shirts I remember fondly though. Um, Tanya got me you've probably seen some of them back in like the wow heyday era a whole bunch of world of warcraft stuff like the home is where your hearthstone is and um, um back when we were working in stream i used to have a shirt that was there's no place like 127.0.0.1 i don't know if you remember yep. that one i do remember that, that would one. always elicit some comments because you could tell like people look at it and they'd and then you'd get the one person like out of a hundred that would actually get it. And you mm-hmm. didn't even have a conversation with that person. Like there was just a sort of unspoken. Yep. Gotcha. It's like the man knows. nod. Yeah. yeah. This guy knows. Uh... Well, let's wrap things up as we always do with some parting gift. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Anybody want to pin it? This one's specifically for you, Telson, because I think you'd like it. Uh, it's mm. a YouTube channel called Low Spec Gamer. And don't let the channel name fool you because there's nothing to do with that anymore. Uh, it's this guy. I'm not even sure. He's, he's English is a second language. Like the, the accent <laughs> is quite thick. But in a, in a charming way, mm. has been doing some deep dives on like video game history but 
not just, you know, the broad history of, you know, here's how this happened or, you know, reading from Wikipedia like some of us do. It's it, like he, he finds the interesting stories and, 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 and the interesting things tied to specific events and, and does a deep dive on that. And he actually like has some artwork commissioned to, to kind of almost like caricature artwork to, to present this stuff on screen. Really, really interesting. Uh, you can tell he's a fan of things like Nintendo and, and a lot of the early sort of Japanese video game culture stuff because he's done a lot of stuff on that. Um, but he's, he's touched on the American stuff too. Uh, a lot of stuff related to, to development of devices that just like almost happened by accident. Check him out. Low spec gamer. It's a YouTube channel. Very, very good. All right. I will have a look. We should, we should probably tell people, um, something about why, you know, the latest nerd fight hasn't hit the screens yet in their local theater. And we can definitely share the blame because I have, I literally recorded a single test track just to see if the pickup on my guitar worked. Oh, yeah. As um, far as I got. Let's just say that we were a little bit ambitious with our idea. Um, similar to trying to find time for, for doing side gig shit, trying to find time for something that we're, we're both still think is a great idea and passionate about and have had the, the mental energy for, but maybe not the physical energy. It's taken a little bit. I've, yeah. I've been, I haven't committed to a final song yet. I haven't started recording anything, but I'm, I'm, I'm moving the needle at least. And I think you're, you're ready to record, right? Like you pretty much I, done. Yeah. I'm, I'm basically doing rehearsals pretty much daily as i get oh i'm bored of whatever i'm doing i'm gonna oh, see, sit down and play rehearsals for daily i'm totally fucked <laughs> we, should, we should just cancel this <laughs> i kind of went listen i i've also Battle of the birds is, is off we're done i'm pretty no i'm pretty sure you're gonna, you're gonna lose anyway because i've literally already been reaching out to family and friends and saying hey i'm gonna be putting this song on youtube can i count on your vote <laughs> Uh, so I, in, <laughs> uh, in that, in that vein, because I really, I mean, I don't want to rush it and I don't want to put pressure on us cause this is, this is definitely not our day job. Um, I have an idea for the next one. Do you okay. want to hear it so you can start mulling over it now? Yes. Why not? Okay. So I had this idea as I was walking in the woods, uh, actually what well, was before the snow fell. So probably early November. Um, I found a stick and I thought, this is a really great stick. I, it's, it's nice to hang on to. It's the right size. It's reasonably straight. It's nice to walk along with. And then I thought, you know what? It would be really neat if I took this and sort of cut it to length and, you know, did a little bit of carving and maybe wrapped some wire around it, attached a stone to it or something, you know, like turn it into a staff. So my idea for a challenge is that we each have to find, not buy, a stick and turn it into a, a walking stick or a staff. Uh, now the, the sort of limitations here would be, you're not allowed to use power tools for anything other than cutting it to length. Um, you cannot buy the stick. You must find it. Um, and other than that, really it's do your thing, do whatever you want with hand tools or nothing. Maybe it's just a really great stick. And then we just, Present it in front of the camera and describe it and what we've done with it. 
And, you know, he who has the best stick wins. You know, especially yeah, seeing as we can't, we can't, uh, can't post our first video on demand because of sticks. Here's some sticks that we can substitute for that. Do you, uh, I think it's a fun idea. I mean, it's, it's not one that I can really contribute anything specific to, to like change the idea and shape it, mold it. I'm fine with just making a cool stick. Uh, yeah. made me think of those, um, bad lip reading, uh, music video songs, uh, that, uh, they do the, the most popular one I think is the seagulls one with Yoda. I don't know if you've ever heard that uh, one, I've, but there's, there's another one with Yoda where it's just my stick, my stick, <laughs> my stick is better than bacon. <laughs> just made me think of that. <laughs> uh, I actually have Cindy bought me a walking stick at one of the craft shows that she goes to and it's it's got a name it's called like Gustavus and they've like carved a face into it and stuff and I I don't want to go to that kind of level of okay. effort. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's let's make an offer here. I'm going to throw it on the table. Cool stick. I'm 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 cool with your limitations. You got to find some way to make it nerdy. Okay. You know. And my other offer is, why don't we bump this up? This is something that we can probably fit in over the Christmas holidays. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. And then we'll we'll make the bard thing still happen, but like no pressure to get it done before the end of the year. Yeah. Okay. I think that's fair. Cool stick. Make it nerdy. Cool nerd stick. Yeah. Bonus points if you mention it in your bard song. Ooh, see, <laughs> I haven't finished writing it, so I've I've got all sorts uh, of opportunity. Yeah, I think you're gonna, ahead of me I'm on that play, one. I'm gonna play my stick in the bard song. Your stick can't be an axe. <laughs> now, define axe. <laughs> let me let me get out my dictionary. No, we don't have time for this. It's been great talking to you. <laughs> we'll have to do it again soon. Yeah.